Welcome to the Teardown Show. Michael, I'm disappointed with you. Why is that? I found a story that was probably the most important story that's come out of Seattle. I, in fact, probably going to go so far as to say a decade. This story has, has been so big. And I'm the one who had to find it and bring it to your attention. Why you didn't, I don't understand. Sometimes you're just too close to the story. You can't see no. it. It's the force through the trees type of thing. Is that it? No. This is huge, Michael. Bigger than big. Bigger than big than you can imagine. Is a that, Seattle it, man. The story of Amazon, right? No. Let me guess. No. no. A Seattle man has made it his mission, and he has succeeded. I should point this out. To take a photo of himself with every public mailbox there is in the entire city of Seattle. Now, how many of them are there? How many How many public mailboxes are there? A thousand. No, 346. He's got 346 photos of himself with every public mailbox. Why? My question is, why? <laughs> why did you not do this? You know, I didn't know. I, I feel like it would have been better if he did it with every payphone. Like that's going to be my project. Every payphone in well, Seattle. There's like there's barely like, any of those. Yeah, left. that's right. It's a it's a lower energy version of, of what he just did. So that's what I'm going to do. That's my no. that's my project. First of all, I don't believe you're going to finish that project. And by <laughs> the way, can you tell me where one payphone in the entire city of Seattle is? At the airport. I know that there's some at the airport. You do know you've actually seen them? I'm pretty sure. The last time I saw one, but it was not functioning, was at the a, um, at the Caltrain station, which is our commuter rail out here. That's the last time I saw one. But I don't think it was working. I thought the, the, the whole receiver was gone. I think it was just something that had to be removed. I feel like we need those, like... The, remember the phone booth? Like, would you you'd go in? Not the ones you stand at that are open. Like the yeah, ones you I know. I know in. the difference between a phone booth and a like and just phone. <coughs> I feel like that's a part of of. <coughs> whoa, we we'll have to edit that out. That was a lot. No, no, leave it in. People tell me how much they love my coughing. <laughs> I feel like that being in that phone booth is like something our kids are going to miss. It's a part of American life. American life that they will not have. Well, don't you? They did that joke, I believe. Maybe Superman 2? I don't know. I think it was in number one. I think it, was, it might have been number two where Superman runs by a, a pay phone that's not a booth and he just yeah. kind of gives it a, yeah. you know, a look. Yeah. Like, I can't do this here. But then again, how is being in a clear phone booth any more private to do your quick change than just out in the open? I think it's more just like soundproofed box. Like, like You make that much noise when you're changing clothes? Well, not, not nothing to do with clothes, just having loud conversations. I mean, do you remember the Anchorman? Was it Anchorman? <laughs> when Will Ferrell said he's in a glass cage of emotion? A glass cage of emotion? No, but the, the you remember the, the shtick on uh, Get Smart, the Cone of Silence? Wasn't there a whole movie based on a dude being on a phone and a terrorist said if he gets off the phone, he's going to kill his family? Like, there's a whole movie based yeah, on Yeah, yeah, that's uh, the Colin Farrell film. 
Uh, I can't remember what. Like the, you the couldn't name do that it. movie now. Like you couldn't be on a phone in a phone booth because no one has phone booths anymore. So you couldn't well, do... he, the whole shtick is he's on his mobile phone doing stuff at the beginning, but he gets called on a pay phone later, and he's forced to stay on that phone. All right. We could reminisce for a long time about phone booths, but I have. But even... more importantly, you have probably the biggest story after the mailbox story, yes. and that is. <laughs> so, David, this is may shock you. Um, this is like uh, usually when you bring up stuff on the show, it shocks me. Yeah, it may shock you, but a company called Kuvi made this can't miss product. Like this is if you if you pitch this product in a meeting, you've got if someone pitches to you, you, go, oh, there's no way that he's not going to be the next next Amazon.com or Google. You would have said that. Well, probably. He this company called Kuvi made wine bottles that were had Wi-Fi connections on them. And you had to order them through the mail, and you can only drink the wine that they had. This was mm-hmm. a startup, and they just shut down this week. Now, I know that this is a can't-miss idea. This is an idea that you probably would have heard and, like I said, would have said, okay, this guy is going to be the next Jeff Bezos, the founder. But for some reason, they didn't make it, David. Are you surprised? One of my disappointments with wine is that it is not Wi-Fi connected. <laughs> One of the reasons I stopped drinking wine was the lack of Wi-Fi connectivity of my wine bottle. Yes. I, like, I prefer my wine Bluetooth connected. No, because it's only short range. And uh, unless it's got the Bluetooth connection to the internet, then I guess that's okay. So I'm a guy who likes, obviously, connected food products. So it's types like products like this that give everything a bad name. Like It's a product that you kind of just look at and go, this isn't going to make it. Uh, and, and there's so many reasons why. And so there's really, there's really no reason why this company would, would make it. I mean, so it's not surprising. So mm-hmm. I'm just, I just wish companies like this wouldn't happen because it gives everyone a bad name in the space. So that's all I have to say about it. Kuvi. First of all, Facebook, uh, I want to know, have you contemplated closing down your Facebook page? Uh, I've contemplated it, but uh, I haven't. How far did that complication con- contemplation go? <clears throat> I've given it some thought. I just can't because I have companies that I, I, I probably, I don't want to shut it down because I, I want the company pages. Right. So you need it for business purposes. You need to maintain your yep. page. All right. So that, that's a very logical reason to maintain your page. Now, have you seen a lot of your friends make big announcements about them getting off of Facebook? A couple. And how long do you think that's going to last? For some, they'll probably last forever. No, probably not. Because people have – how many – do you have friends who've like make big announcements saying I'm leaving Facebook and then they come back? Uh, Maybe a couple. Yeah. It, I have a few. And yeah, it's not a lot, just a few. They make these grand pronouncements and then they realize, holy crap, I really enjoyed this. <laughs> Why did I leave? And I think that's what's going to happen here. But but the thing, the big story is being that your content is shared with so many people. And also Facebook is not just Facebook. It's also WhatsApp and also Instagram as well. That deleting Facebook really isn't that easy. Although, did you see that Elon Musk, I just saw the story today, he has shut down 
the uh, the SpaceX and the Tesla uh, pages on Facebook. Did you see that? Yeah, that was my story that you just took. Oh, did I just? Of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's discuss that. I'm glad he did. I think it's cool. I mean, but also, like, he doesn't really need, like, if you're selling rockets to the government, what do you need a Facebook page for? Like, well, it's just to promote it. But then again, he's done a pretty good job promoting his businesses. Just Elon, by... Elon Musk doesn't need Facebook advertising. No, he does not. He does not. Anyways, I think the whole, you know, this this goes back to also a story that I did for the Electronic Frontier Foundation last year about uh, online privacy and um, and the desire to have online privacy um, and that why we should care about online privacy. And this kind of goes to speak to that very, very truth. It's not that you don't have anything to hide, but the fact that, and this is the part that a lot of people don't understand, is that your basic information can be used against you, which is evidenced by this whole Cambridge Analytica thing. They are using basic information about you to use it against you. Okay. Michael? I'm here. Oh, jeez, Michael. All right. <laughs> Uh, YouTube has banned a variety of how-to gun videos, uh, so videos that show you how to make guns or make different automatic guns or selling of guns, and this is uh, all in an effort to fight back against the NRA, to be uh, pro-gun control, and this weekend is when the uh, the the high school students and even my sisters are actually going to Washington, D.C. to... Uh, to march I, get, uh, I don't even know where the march is going to be I'm going to assume it's going to be on the Washington Mall um, and they originally they had a permit for 500,000 people but they're expecting a lot more than that yeah I think it's going to be a big deal lots of kids marching more um, kids and adults my sisters as well will be there so they're actually going all I mean well, they're going from New York to DC one lives in Boston one lives okay. in Maine got it so not too far away, but they do have to travel. We will see. But anyways, I am uh, I personally am very pro gun control and pro everything these kids are doing. And the big thing, which is which is um, which they're very much fighting for is the uh, the stopping of the semi automatic and automatic weapon sales, which seems to not even be on the plate for a lot of these uh, lawmakers. It seems like every time there's a shooting, they have, like they harden their positions and say, "Let's mm -hmm. get more pro-gun." Like even well, it, it, there's, a play, there's a playbook that happens after every one of these shootings, sadly. And and this was and the big thing is this one happened. You know, although we've had other high school student shootings, but this one they felt mobilized and they could speak up and they wanted to speak up. And um, you know, I think about the Columbine shooting. And in that situation, I think it, that was like kind of the first high profile one that we all kind of paid attention to. Um, but there wasn't we hadn't gone through a litany of these prior to that where nothing was done after each one. And now we're in a situation where a litany have happened and no actions happened after them. And so, yeah. uh, you know, the, the my fear 
in this whole effort is that these high school students will stop being high school students and they will go on to, you know, live their own lives and do the next thing in their lives, you know, grow because they have to, that, you know, they can't make their lives fighting grunt control. They, they need to move on like all of us do. And, uh, you know, if you're pro guns, the, the trick here is to, to wait it out, you know, because all it does is take a little bit of time to try to wait it out. But uh, I'm hoping that doesn't happen. We'll see. Best tweet I saw this week about this was uh, someone said, you know, we had one guy go on a plane with, try to blow up a plane with his shoes. And we had, now everyone takes their shoes off at airports. We've had like 200 shootings or 300 school shootings since then or whatever. And like no changes. So it's like, it's like you kind of just choose what you, you choose what you want to react to and then just ignore everything else. Right. And it's also, this this also falls under the uh, the headline of what is known as um, uh, security theater. The, the 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 thing about the shoes is a perfect example of security theater. We make our we make it look as if you're more secure by putting up a wall on the border or telling you to take your shoes off or something. And these are sort of performances that are done to make it appear more secure. But the reality is. That may not be doing it. And um, there's no doubt about it that if in all these cases the person did not have a semi-automatic weapon or an automatic weapon, the the damage they did would not have happened. So and, here's, a, here's the thing. Uh, I just – I didn't realize this. Um, but a, f- a friend of mine, an industry associate, uh, like I've gone out to lunch with him here in Edmonds. Um, I, I've, I've seen him at, I've seen him at trade shows. His daughter was killed in that for, the last Florida shooting. Oh my god! Yeah, I just I just saw it. I mean, he's been pretty public about it. Uh, a guy by the name of Ryan Petty. He's he's out of the he's in the video or video over I voiceover or video space. Um, mm-hmm. I, I kind of knew him through the the you know online video space. Um, and yeah, so like he's actually and he's fairly been fairly politically active since then. But yeah, like I, I realize I. Have a, a you know a, a friend that they've got a, someone that was killed and then I also I don't know if you knew this but I had my uh, my cousin in Colorado was shot he was a SWAT member and he was shot by a a shooter I don't know if you remember a guy in Colorado Springs was trying to take over and was shooting at people in an abortion clinic or a, um, this was maybe three years ago I know stories of abortion clinics I didn't know yeah, this so, is a, sorry so cousin of yours there's a Planned Parenthood clinic my <clears throat> my, my cousin actually leads a SWAT team. In uh in Colorado Springs, wow. he got shot in the hand and the arm by this oh my guy. God. Uh, yeah, so this is like uh, it's kind of crazy. I know I have a, a relative and a, a a good friend that was shot by a mass kind of a, a gunman doing crazy things. Pretty crazy. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, that's not what this show is about, is it? No. No, but Let's it's move just on but, to nonviolent but, topics. No, but the point what the point say? is. Just how widespread it is, like when one person has like a relative and a friend at this point. Yeah. I, I know it's yeah, it's horrible. So uh, let's move on to nonviolent topics. So, who would you guess is the biggest tenant, office tenant in Manhattan? Any guesses? Number one. Yeah. Well, I see what you're putting as number two. Number one office tenant in Manhattan. I would I would have to go with. Um, 
The people make granimals. <laughs> well, it's, that's the st- what's interesting in this story is who's number two. The number one is J.P. Morgan, like the ne- the oh, really? gigantic okay. banker. Probably not surprising. Wall Street. I have a friend who worked for J.P. Morgan. But the go. number two tenant now, private office tenant in Manhattan, is WeWork. So that's a fascinating story because one of our, by the way, one of our clients is a commercial real estate law firm, and the these companies, these co working yep. office spaces like WeWork. And there's a bunch of other competitors too that do this. These are a um, a office developer's dream because they are unpredictable leasing of office space. Usually, the office space that is leased out is you know big company X is coming to town, so you try to pitch them to sell you know X thousands of square feet in your office space. These co-working aren't attached to any one business. So all of a sudden, they just see a swell in de- this kind of demand, and all of a sudden, they want a hundred thousand square feet. Period. They just want it, and it comes from nowhere. And there's and it's so it's it's like it's like found money to commercial real estate developers. Yeah, the view. I mean, it's it's phenomenal that this article. Just look at the growth. I think it went like from sixty thousand feet in like two thousand ten uh, square feet in Manhattan to almost three million. Square feet in Manhattan. Uh, That's unbelievable. So far this year, as of this year, like where we are this year. Now, so. I, I'm assuming you've been in, a, in one of these WeWork spaces before, yes? Yeah, I mean, I've been to in a WeWork, and there's others. I, I like the concept. Yeah. I like the concept too. Now, what I find interesting, have you been in any that the WeWork spaces where it's just nothing like glass cubicles and there's like zero visible privacy? So you get a, this tiny office, but it's in a glass. You're literally in a glass cube. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I mean the by putting it in glass you don't feel as claustrophobic <laughs> because the the spaces they really divide up the spaces small. I mean really, really small, which is kind of overwhelming. I mean I think like uh I, I, I was at one today and there's one in, mm-hmm. in Capitol Hill in the Seattle area and uh everyone's just kinda of sitting at a desk. But if you're just like a solo worker all you need is like just a little tiny desk or just a space at a desk. And it, it's better than yeah. a coffee shop because everyone's quiet. Um, everyone's working. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, I, and you could just like, at least at this place, rent a desk like for a full month, like 300 bucks. So you can't beat it. No. you Well, you could beat it if you could get a space for free, which we used to have. Yeah. We used, we used to be in an office space that just had tons of extra space. And it was a, a guy I used to work with. And he he said, you know, just – you know, in exchange for your consulting time. And I swear the year and a half we were there, I think he asked me two questions. I maybe put in 30 minutes of consulting and time the whole time I was there. I mean, it was, it was essentially free office space. It was, there was nothing. So free office for a year for 30 minutes of work. That's pretty good. Pretty much year and a half, but yeah, it worked out nice. So we what's, did, the it story, what's the story of cutting old heads at IBM? So this just, this is one of these ageism stories. This is a long, long piece. And I'm just, honest God, I didn't read the whole darn thing because it's long. It's really long. You can get through it. <laughs> no. But it, uh, just they, they ran the numbers and showed that tens of thousands of people at IBM were were the ones who were laid off or, or removed. Um, and they all, they all took them from the, uh, the oldest ages. Now, sometimes this happens because they sort of give incentives to retire early. But – I am on a daily basis practically hearing stories of ageism. Now, it may be the fact that I'm getting up there in age 
and it concerns me as well. But man, this is a serious problem. And the point I think is there's constantly this discussion discussion of uh, diversity hiring and inclusion. But the one thing that is chronically being left out is the ageism problem. And the one thing I, I should I want to make clear to everyone who's listening, we are all going to join this group. Every one of us, irrespective of our sex and our, uh, you know, what, what uh, minority we're a part of, we will all become part of the older working generation. So discriminating against this group is an extraordinarily bad idea because we are all going to be a part of it if we're not part of it right now. Hey, let me ask you, do you, do you have that giant size readers, readers digest size text on your phone yet? Like, do you do that? No, I don't. That's like a sure fire sign you're old. So I, so when you go in for me to make sure that yeah. your, yeah. your font size, just a is tip. Small. If you're going in for a job interview, make your font size smaller and then dye your hair. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like <laughs> the digital version of like, uh, uh, dyeing your hair. So my little tip. All right. Hey, this next story is pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm kind of creepy it seems like something out of black mirror which have you watched black mirror yet we've discussed this on the show i have not yet you got to get on it anyway so this 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 new uh, research out of this university um basically has created a wearable um that actually goes on your tooth and tracks what you're eating Mm -hmm. it's basically a tooth mounted sensor and so it can tell it, it can kind of monitor what you're eating and then like you can check it on an app and is that creepy or is that cool? Let me ask you. No, I think you, I think uh, all your teeth should be wired. <laughs> I don't know why you just Bluetooth only have one or, tooth. Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. If you get your phone on you, I guess you can go Bluetooth. All right. Most of us have our phone on us. I'm, I'm all for, well, I mean, look, let's wire your teeth. Let's wire your wine bottles. What else do we need to wire? Get not wire or make wirelessly connected. Let's see contact lenses. Why not? Great idea. Great idea. Yeah. All right, but I actually see use. I see use for this, right? If you if you are trying to monitor certain food intakes, you have allergies. This would basically be able to sense that. I I actually see a lot of potential applications for this. Mm Hmm. Yeah. I don't. This next story I mentioned to you last night. Hey, we didn't drop the big bomb. The two of us saw each other last night. We uh, we had dinner. You were in San Francisco last night. Yeah. And so we had dinner, and I gave you a ride back to your hotel, which was near the airport, which is not far from where I live. And uh, I dropped this huge bomb on you. A lot of people, I don't know if they remember, comedian Byron Allen, he was, you know, very sort of tepid comedian who actually at a very young age got to do The Tonight Show. But he started a syndicated television show that reaped an enormous amount of money. And that's the thing. These sort of little syndicated shows that don't think don't appear to be much of anything can be extraordinarily profitable. So much so for Brian Allen and his production company that he just bought the Weather Channel. Now, Mark, just the TV station, not the website or any of the apps um, for three hundred million dollars, which I'm also surprised that it was that cheap. Three hundred million dollars for the Weather Channel, but he just bought it. I was amazed. Now, how do we? How did Byron Allen make enough money as a comedian to buy the Weather Channel? I believe through his. That's the thing. It's like 
when you have a syndicated show, huge profits can be reaped. And he had this syndicated show, by the way, which was like on at two in the morning. It was never on at any kind of reasonable time. But syndication, like Judge Judy, I think, and she like one of the wealthiest people on television right now. Her show is syndicated. She makes a fortune. Pretty interesting. Way to go, Byron Allen. I'm proud of Byron. I'm <laughs> proud of Byron Allen. And my last story. Now, do you know what GDPR is? Uh, no. So GDPR is this European regulation that has a deadline coming up in May. <clears throat> Specifically speaks to any global company that wants to do um, business mostly with Europe, I think it's specifically for Europe, uh, they have to comply to these new regulations for consent for communications and for capturing uh, private information. Now, while in the U.S. we are extremely uh, permissive of how data is being collected and used, as we have discovered in the Facebook case, Europe is not so much so. In fact, they've got extremely stringent regulations, or they have, and even now more so with GDPR, on on privacy and, and the usage of data. Anyways, Google now wants publishers, and I'm assuming this means the advertisers too, to get consent from users to comply with GDPR. So this is going to be monstrously huge. How do I, as a publisher, drop cookies onto your site to be able to track you, mm-hmm. you know, your usage and how you're going about it your day uh, or on on the interwebs, if you will, uh, by getting you to comply to this. This is, a, I believe, an opt-in option, not an opt-out. So uh, this is going to be quite, quite difficult, and we'll see how far this goes because this will drastically change the landscape of publishing and advertising if they have to get consent from everyone and all of a sudden the audience to advertise to shrinks to almost nothing. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we're going to see more regulation in the U.S. Uh, probably in lieu of of the Facebook news. Around it's not going to be like Europe. Europe's already had this ingrained for so long. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. And the thing is, like, like um, there's so many protections against employees or protections for employees for their privacy. We're out here, like, if you work for a company, anything you do or say there, they own, you know, where it's not as stringent. In Europe, like that, like, for example, we had a client that had a product where they could track whether their employees watched a video or not to see if they, you know, saw the some training video or one like that. Yep. When they sell their product to Europe, they flat out had to turn that feature off. They were not allowed to be able to monitor what um, employees consumed or didn't consume, even if they were working within the four walls of your organization. Hmm because of European privacy laws. Germany being the most stringent of them all. I know that Germany has pretty stringent uh, online trolling laws. Like you can't, like you actually, if you like troll someone on Twitter, you, you could be, you could get in big legal trouble in, in, in Germany. So it's, I know it's a very stringent place in terms of online behavior. Interesting. Things have, appears that things have turned around for Germany. Let me uh, thank our listeners, Michael, who listen to our show because you get these vi- you get these podcasts out right away. That's what we they like about you. Uh, I want to just thank our listeners for everything they do. You can find us on the Technology.fm network or the Podcast One network. Uh, Michael is available on Twitter at, at Michael Wolf. I am available on Twitter at DSpark. 
Michael's business is Next Market Insights. He also has the Smart Kitchen Summit and the Spoon. It's the Spoon.tech, right? T-E-C-H, correct? That is correct. Is the website. And I have the business Spark Media Solutions. If you just add a .com at the end of it, you'll get there. Let us close with our media recommendations, Michael. It's Yours an article. Sounds pretty funny. It's pretty funny. Let me ask you this. When you go to the airport. Some, you, by the way, I should mention, I sometimes just go to the airport to hang out. Yeah, me too. Great place. Kind of like There's, I like, there's I, no point to just go to the airport for a flight. <laughs> Let me ask you. Have you ever seen the guy at the airport with a Bluetooth headset? Like a little Bluetooth thing in his ear? Hmm. You ever seen that guy? I have seen it. No, hold it. Let me back you up on that this story for just a second. I know where you're going with it, but let me back you up. Do you remember the first day you ever saw someone talk on a on some type of Bluetooth thing, and they're and you didn't see the thing in their head, like their head yeah, was turned the other crazy. way. Yep. And you thought that your yep. first reaction was, "This guy's talking to himself. Yep. He's crazy." It's like a game. People play that game. Is he crazy or is he talking to Bluetooth headset? It's like a game. But the very first time you saw it, and you didn't even know about it. You go, this guy's crazy. Yeah. And you're like, oh, he's talking on his phone. Yeah. So we've all seen this guy. It's usually a guy. Usually like 45 to 55. Yeah, you never, by the way, yeah, I will agree with you. You never see a woman doing this. You never see a woman. Yeah. It's never like the, it's never the 25-year-old hipster in San Francisco doing this. Dude with the Bluetooth, a little Bluetooth earbud, talking loudly and saying things like, uh, let's close the loop. Uh, it's in my wheelhouse um, at the end of the day. Anyway, McSweeney's has a great, basically satirical post entitled, I'm going to close this deal using business word. I've heard men yell in airports. And it's basically like an entire monologue with dude saying these things that you hear people say when they're well, wearing. Yeah, everything that encapsulates. Right. Like, no, you're wrong on that, Steve. Steve. Yeah. Steve, hear me out. You're wrong. Just hear <laughs> yeah. me out, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> That's the nuclear option, Steve. Anyway, it's pretty funny. We'll put it in the show notes. I thought it was pretty yeah, funny. Yeah, it's pretty dark. Yeah, you have definitely heard someone say, hold on, I like, a, I like the last one. We've got to incentivize our assets yeah. for core companies. Yeah. And half of, like a third of the, 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 the dialogue is in all caps, like, like, a, like a Trump yeah. tweet or something. But yeah. All right. That's my media recommendation all for right. the week. I actually heard a few seconds of it, and you were, you were quite shocked. Um, and it's a very interesting uh, show I listen to that I, I would say it's sometimes sort of – I would recommend listening to the episodes that, that most interest you specifically. And, they, and this podcast is called Why Did You Push That Button? It's from The Verge. And it's these two women who analyze one specific aspect of user experience. Um, so like one would be – uh, about the super like on Tinder. And I didn't even know what this was until I heard this. Do you know what that is? No. You know what a like is on Tinder, correct? Uh, the swipe and the swipe left. You yeah, swipe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Swipe left if you don't like somebody, swipe right if you do. Um, well, the super like, and the, and the thing is you only see the people that also swipe right on you. So the ones that actually match the show interest in you and as well. A super like allows you to indicate to a person before they even start swiping, Hey, I like you. So they see that at the very beginning when they begin their swiping session. Uh, it has some connotations of creepiness involved in it. And so they delved into just this one user aspect or this one feature, the super like. 
And the one that you heard a few seconds of last night was the whole phenomenon of selling, sending nudes over your phone and how do people actually do it. And it didn't actually get into too much of why people would do it, but the different ways that one can do it. So let me ask you, why do you keep sending me nudes? <laughs> oh, I must have the wrong number. Why, who are you intending to send them? <laughs> My wife. Ah, I don't send just, nudes, David. I don't send nudes. Let's just make that clear. No, so you haven't sent any to your wife? No. Do you think nor, she's disappointed? Nor to anyone. That? No, she doesn't want to see that. Does she say put on your clothes every time yeah. she sees you naked? Yeah. Get those clothes back on. I can't look at this anymore. I can understand that. Um, so uh, I recommend that podcast. And I also recommend this McSweeney's piece that you recommended. Yep. I have well. one more. I'm gonna go, I have an additional one. Oh, geez. What's the extra one? Uh, it's actually uh, this amazing. So we all, we, you probably heard of 99% Invisible. It's one of my sure. favorites. Sure. Yeah, I, I was going back to the archive for uh, the plane trip this morning. And it, they had a phenomenal one, an episode called A 700-Foot Mountain of Whipped Cream. And it's a amazing trip through online or uh, through radio jingles, like the evolution of the radio ad and jingles oh, from like funny. 1920s all the way to today, including, you know, one, iconic ones like I Want to Buy the World Coke. And it's just really, really well done. So if you – You know who was a successful radio jingle writer? David Spark? No. Barry Manilow. I knew that. Do you know some of the ones he wrote? Uh, I, I know he did a McDonald's, or I think he did one of the McDonald's you ones. You deserve a break yeah. today. That's yeah. a Barry Manilow one. Yeah, I mean, I my my mom liked Barry Manilow, so we had a, a, a live album. We had I I we had Barry Manilow albums, too. Yeah, so the live one where he actually sang some of the jingles, I, I yes, hear that. Yes, he sings a bunch of a the uh, The uh, Like a Good Neighbor, State Farm is there. I believe he wrote that one. So anyway, it, this so is like a, to Barry Manilow. Hold it's on. a really enjoyable podcast. I, I'd recommend it. We'll put the what's your, the what's your favorite Barry Manilow tune? Brandy, Brandy. No, it's Mandy, Mandy. Okay. I met a woman at a conference named Mandy and I made the, I goes, is that, were you named after the Barry Manilow song? And she said, yes, my parents did name me after the Barry Manilow song. Oh, Copacabana. Remember that song? The Copa. Yes, I write the songs Weekend in New England. That's a pretty classic song. Oh, jeez. You're a disappointment, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're done. We're done. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.